there's there's like an adage about like babies in a river like you come up and you see that uh there are a bunch of babies that are floating down in a river and you have two options you can either uh jump into the river downstream and start pulling the babies out or you can go upstream to see what's making them fall in right and you sort of have to choose and i mean the the real answer is like if you want to have effective impact you have to have people that are working in both areas Welcome back to I'm the Villain. Today, we're talking about a topic that I actually think about a lot, but we haven't actually talked about it this explicitly on the podcast before, but we're going to be talking about effective altruism um, with a friend of DeAndre's. How long have you guys been friends? Like since childhood? Um, Childhood's a rough answer. Straight, how long have we been friends? Like uh, seven to eight years. Yeah, we met like <laughs> we met in college because Shrey. Well, we met in a student organization, and Shrey started dating one of my best friends at the time. And now, oh, okay. and then, yeah, this is actually this is a common theme for me about how I make friends that are, <laughs> that are dudes. Yeah, really? I have a lot of dude friends that I just made because they started dating a girl that I was friends with. Um, but now, but yeah, now we're like we're bros and we do shit together a lot. <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of stupid shit, yeah. Uh, Shrey, um, what? <laughs> give a brief bio on yourself. It's so weird to do this with a best friend, by the way. <laughs> I haven't done this with a best friend yet. And but yeah, like tell tell the people what you want them to know. I guess. Uh, sure. So, my name is Shrey Saxena, and I am a data scientist at a clinical research organization. Um, I started my. Uh, career in consulting at Deloitte, where I like sort of bounced around between regulated industries and some nonprofit projects. Um, I did a stint in microfinance where I was at Kiva, uh, working with small to mid-sized enterprises and their early investing. And then I got my analytics degree because I wanted a profession that would sort of unify my technical background with uh, my desire to make an impact in the world. So that's sort of what brought me to the place I am in now. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I feel like the career stuff in particular is really important because like just to frame kind of more around what effective altruism is, it's kind of this in my mind and this, and you can like, you know, tell kind of what you think it is. I feel like it's basically this, this movement to try to get people to prioritize social impacts specifically like in their careers, but also just kind of like generally like donating to charities and like, you know, kind of the extracurricular stuff that people do. Um, and trying to come up with a systematic approach as to how to do that most yeah, effectively. Yeah. And it's Would you agree with that? Sort of a challenge like a challenge to people who want to do good in the world to think critically about how they can approach that and the organizations that they support that are making an impact in the world. Like, what does it mean to make an impact? How do you measure that? And are there some organizations that are better than others that you want to support in that process? So it's really yeah. like a comprehensive approach to altruism. Yeah. A way to like really kind of think deeply about the, yeah, the ways that you want to make an impact in the world. And I think, um, a way to a good way to break down the, like the different avenues you can go about doing that is how I think about it yeah because I originally found out about effective altruism through this blog that I read Slate Star Codex and then there's all of these like Vox people that are really into <laughs> effective altruism too you know what I mean like <laughs> there's like you know Dylan Matthews and like Kelsey Piper and there's all these people who write at Vox who are like really into anyone who writes for that like future perfect column basically um, is kind of it's very very uh, effective altruism adjacent mm -hmm. you know so that's kind of how I got into it. how did how did but like Shrey do you want to talk about like how you kind of got into it and yeah, started thinking so about this when I was at NC State me and my good friend Ryan O'Donnell um, started this nonprofit organization called Pennies for Progress uh, which the idea was simple that like you go to your favorite like coffee shop or restaurant you can round up your bill to the nearest dollar and donate that difference to a charitable initiative that was close to you and in the process of sort of standing up that initiative we had to ask ourselves, you know, what are going to be the organizations that we give the money to that we raise? And we knew that we wanted to have like a local impact, but we also wanted to give it to organizations that could do the most with the dollars that we had. And that process of researching organizations and finding out 
the the way that this space engages uh, in that type of conversation is what really brought me to effective altruism. And like, what do you, I guess, what is your assessment of it as an approach? Cause like, I feel like it's a really robust kind of philosophical construct that has a lot of kind of like premises that are not necessarily obvious. Yeah, you know what I mean? And it's, it's something when I think of effective altruism, I don't think of it as like a rule book. Like it'd be really bold to say that, you know, this is how you evaluate an organization and this is how you decide one one cause is better than another this is how you should use your dollar but it's more so like a framework through which you can evaluate those decisions in your life when you are being altruistic or when you want to give um how can you do that in a meaningful and thoughtful way Mm -hmm. when you're thinking Mm -hmm. back to uh the nonprofits that you're choosing for pennies do you do any kind of like main ones pop into your mind and do you remember why you chose them yeah so um i mean one organization that we've always uh been supportive of is kiva which uh for people that don't know is a microfinance microfinance and financial inclusion nonprofit that's based in san francisco but they operate in countries all over the world and um that idea of using funds that are raised locally and investing them internationally into communities that can take advantage of microfinance and then using the returns of that to invest back in the local community, that sort of circle of wealth was something that we thought was really fascinating. Um, so that's definitely one organization that stood out. Um, DonorsChoose.org was also one that um, we really supported as we worked with um, sort of educational institutions to understand how can we get this to um, public school teachers that have projects that they need funded in their classroom. Um, Donor Shoes is a really effective way to get there. Um, but it was it was an ongoing conversation. It was really a collaboration with our stakeholders to see you know, what can we do to make sure that we're good stewards of the funds that we were raising. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, well, how, so how, how, like, useful... Did you find it in terms of actually uh, like kind of helping tr- you try to kind of guide your career choices? Yes. You know? well, I mean, my career choices, especially with the 80,000 hours project, it's sort of like I can look back at the decisions I made and be like, oh, yeah, I definitely was like following this as like a rubric for my life. But I mean, in the in the moment, it was just sort of like me throwing my my like boss to the wall. Just kind of like. <laughs> Hell yeah, brother. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah like I, I i mean one of the key takeaways that i had um when i was like leaving undergrad was that i needed to get a lot of experience in a lot of different areas early on in my career so that i could use those skills later on when i'm in my more higher earning years or when i have the time to contribute to a cause at a more macro level um so like i was started off in consulting and i was able to bounce around between a couple of really high impact projects um, with like the Ford Foundation and the military health system, like State Street Global Advisors, and like really get a solid understanding of how the intersection of the nonprofit, for profit, and governmental sectors sort of interact. And with that, I was able to make more like tactical decisions about how I wanted to use my time in the service of so like initiatives. So when I went to Kiva, um, I was there as sort of an unpaid member of the uh, strategic initiatives team. And like my job was to stand up like their partnerships with uh, educational institutions uh, around the country uh, to help them vet the loan applications they were getting because we just had this like massive influx of people who wanted the funds that Kiva had, but uh, just not enough people to read the applications. So I sort of supported that program. And it was something that I was you know, one of the things that comes up in 80,000 hours is having, um, if you have a unique skill set that's specific to a niche, like that's a really high impact avenue for you to pursue in your career, right? So uh, because I had this background in consulting and because, uh, you know, there was this need for that type of work at Kiva, I thought that that was a really impactful way for me to use that time. I think that the sort of the conversation that we're having right now um, and kind of what I think initially brought us to this topic is this idea that like not one, like not all nonprofits are created equal and two, like not all nonprofit careers are created equal and three, like there are multiple ways to make sustained impact, um, like for good and for the good of society. And this really brings me back to when I was at NC state and I, I was minoring in nonprofit studies. Sorry, you didn't do that minor. Did you? Uh, I took like a class or two. 
Yeah. And that's when I, I feel like I had a whole class just dated, just dedicated to like kind of the failings of the non the nonprofit sector. And to me, this is very much like wrapped in the idea that like, yeah, not like not all causes are effective causes. And um, you should be like, it's like, it's a good idea to be intentional about where you put, put your money. And so for me, it's a logical extension to kind of like also uh, think about that in terms of your career and how you and like how you want to like utilize your time to make an impact. But and I think that kind of where we're going with this is is the idea that the the best way to impact is not always necessarily to just go and work for a nonprofit, right? Yeah, like there's a whole uh, spectrum of professions from you know definitely working in a nonprofit, but also being engaged in government research and policy development. And uh, even in the for-profit sector, if you work for, you know, a social enterprise or a B Corp or um, a company that has social impact integrated into their mission and strategy, like those are all valid and like very like reasonable ways to make an impact on the world and do well in the social sphere um, that maybe don't have all of the pitfalls or drawbacks that a nonprofit career might take on early on in your uh in your in your years yeah i mean it's it's such an aggressively utilitarian construct do you agree with that it really is effective altruism (laughs) is how do you feel about that yeah it's like it's so it's very very like it feels kind of like cold and calculating to a certain degree even though the like purpose of it is for something that is seemingly like like you know like the the, your associations with nonprofit workers i feel like the opposite is like oh like you know people who are like warm and like emotional and like driven and like empathetic you know what i mean but (laughs) (laughs) what what what, what do you think is the biggest problem well one the perception of it and that like it's just like this like kind of like warm and squishy thing and then two mm-hmm. the fact that it is this warm and squishy thing and that a lot i think for me personally in my opinion is that one thing that, that the nonprofit sector is missing is data and research to like i think that a lot of for example there's a lot of nonprofit programs that don't even run program evaluations to see how much of an effect they're having on the cause they're trying to solve right and i feel like yeah. that's a pretty common thing and it's all cyclical, cyclical because the nonprofit sector is under like underfunded and all of that but um, I think that, yeah, what you were getting at, Isabel, is like, it does kind of feel counterintuitive, but I think that the warmest and fuzziest thing you could do is run an effective program. And to do that, I think in science and research <laughs> and numbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's just something that, like, there's just something about their approach and even the, like the language that they use, you know, on the effective altruism site where it's like, okay, how are you going to go about figuring out what your career is going to be? Well, get out a piece of paper, right? Do some research, get some hard numbers <laughs> on there, right? Don't go with your gut. They literally have a thing on their website being like, don't go with your gut, yeah, right? You know, <laughs> and it feels very like weirdly passionless for something that seems like you know this is like your whole goal like my whole life's purpose is to do good in the world seems like something that is extremely passion driven you know what i mean very calculating um in that way and yeah i i mean i think about it in i think about it like this that you know you can have your heartfelt passion as like your why so like why you do the work that you do in the world but when push comes to shove if you're not doing that in an effective way then you're sort of spinning your wheels right like i mean the name eighty thousand hours like how are you going to use eighty thousand hours in your career to do the most good and like you know what they say is even if you make a one percent more effective career that's as if you do 800 hours of work and like it's calculating, but I think it's it has a point that we should be more critical about the work we do on a day to day basis and how that affects not just you know society as a whole, but uh, the causes that we care about. Yeah, can you explain more about what exactly eight thousand hours 8, is? Eight thousand hours is a initiative that comes from the Center of Effective Altruism, uh, all about decide determining how you can use the eighty thousand hours that you have over your career to do the most good or make the most impact in the world, and they provide a lot of Mm -hmm. thought work and a lot of um, information on this sort of the the impetus and the decisions and the questions that you should be asking yourself as you navigate your career journeys. And it's, it's a resource for people who aren't really sure what to do next on their career path, but they know that they want to make an impact in the world. Yeah. 
Totally. And, and, and one thing that I, I was just looking at their website, the 80,000 hours website before we were, before we recorded this and they have a really, really explicit list of things like which fields they believe are like the highest impact based on like the research assessment mm-hmm. that they've done. And I wanted to just read it and react. Like, just re- have you guys react to it. Yeah, exactly. Because I thought it was really interesting. It wasn't exactly Should we start what from I was top expecting. and go so to they bottom said, or bottom go to top? Okay, why don't you read it from top, right, to, top bottom. to bottom? Number one um, is research and relevant areas. And I could, I don't know, should I read some of like a little bit of what it says? Sure. Since many of the top program or problem areas we focus on are mainly constrained by a need for additional research. And we've argued that research seems like a high impact path in general. Following this path usually means pursuing graduate study in a relevant area where you have a good personal fit, then aiming to do some research relevant to a top problem area or else supporting other researchers who are doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a researcher, <laughs> well, no, as a researcher who often feels like I'm not doing shit, um, you know, reading this random article by this random initiative does feel gratifying. <laughs> and, yeah. And I think that I think that that's because sort of like doing this on the ground really feels um, like the work is so like slow and incremental and you kind of get lost in the sauce that it's hard to remember um, sort of what you're doing and why you're doing it. But I think what's important to highlight is that they say like relevant problem areas, which still seems like there's a little bit of subjectivity in there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. How do you don't feel? You- how do you feel about the, the number one ranking as well? Well, I, well, to me, it smells a lot like academia justifying itself, <laughs> right? <laughs> in, in in a way that I am personally very skeptical of because like, you know, I mean, it was founded by, I mean, the, the whole effective altruism movement was founded by a bunch of professors. But like, what's very, very weird to me is that like, you know, they're, they, they like place a lot of emphasis on things that are very measurable and things like research don't actually feel as measurable to me, right? There's like the re- doing research itself, right, can be measurable, right? But it is hard. There's a lot of uncertainty involved, right, in terms of determining what research is actually going to ultimately like yield the most quote unquote like impact in terms of like improving people's like the well being of humanity. You know what I mean? Yeah. That seems like it's really hard to establish. And yeah. Come and air, I think that we you know? talked about how you know, of, of the idea of sort of money guiding where research goes and the idea that like what gets mm-hmm. researched um, is very much driven by, you know, external forces. Yeah. But the thing is external forces that aren't necessarily optimizing for social I think they're impact, almost certainly not right? optimizing for social impact. There's almost certainly not exactly. Right. And so that's why it's kind of interesting because the re- like research itself, I think has a lot of perverse incentives involved in it that don't necessarily lead to it. And the outcomes that it seems to me like effective altruism yeah. is pushing for, yeah. you know, what are your yeah, thoughts, right? Like what, I mean, research is like the capital R research, right? So I mean, they talk a little bit about how like machine learning and AI are going to be like impactful fields in the near future. And the vast majority of research that goes on there is in the private sector, right? And so there's this balance between, you know, research where it's, you know, your traditional grant making and, uh, you know, getting funding from a source and having yourself be accountable to that as you publish. Um, and then there's also, you know, organizations in the field that are keeping track of the work they do and publishing the results in a way that the rest of the nonprofit sector and beyond can learn from it. So like that type of field work that is on the ground and is getting insights out to people who may or may not be able to access that on their own. I think that one thing that I do want to bring up here is, which is relevant to what I said already, which is the idea of, uh, yeah, what gets funded. And one thing that we were, um, one thing that we have talked about in previous pods and that I, and I, I learned a lot about and then sort of the nonprofit studies minor thing that I did is that um, a lot of the people funding research are, you know, private, um, private corporations or like the philanthropic arms of private corporations. Some of it's from, the, some of it's from the government, but yeah, just reiterating the point that, um, 
you know, there aren't really, I feel like it's really hard to find a truly sort of like altruistic uh, company or, you know, even a truly altruistic government. Um, not that it's impossible, but yeah. And I think you start running into the problem of at least what I've experienced as someone that kind of works in, I work in the nonprofit research field, which means that I think that we're struggling for money a little bit more than, you know, some corporate research arms might be, for example, or the government might be. Um, but you stay, you definitely start falling into the trap of, okay, we're doing, you know, uh, research or program evaluation or program evaluation for this big philanthropic arm of a company. And it does seem like they want us to produce a certain result. So like, you know, how much are we going to kind of present this, you know, like how much are we going to, I don't want to say fudge these numbers, but how, how much are we going to present this idea in a light that's, you know, gratifying to whoever we're doing research for. I feel, I feel like a genderless research, research is hard to find. Anyways, number two, government and policy in an area relevant to a top problem. And a little bit of the text. Um, in this category, we usually recommend that people aim to develop expertise in an area relevant to one of our priority problems uh, and then take any government or, job, or policy job where, where you can help to improve policy relevance to that problem. Yeah. Wait, why don't you just read the other the other ones really quickly and you don't have to read the sure. description or whatever. Um, three is work at effective nonprofits. Four is apply an, an unusual strength to a needed niche, which is kind of what Shrey was getting at. Um, and five is earning to give. And I find five like pretty intriguing, but yeah. Why? I think it, I think, and I think that Shrey and I have had this conversation like, you know, some years, some number of years ago. Um, but especially in, in reference to like the nonprofit sector, a lot of what people need is just resources and cash. And, um, I think that number five gets at the idea that sometimes, uh, what you can best contribute, uh, given your skill set, is just the ability to earn a fuck ton of money and then give it to somebody else. Shrey, I feel like you're the first person to introduce me to that topic. Yeah, I uh, I really vibe with it. I mean, it makes a lot of sense <laughs> to me that. And so Dan Pilata talks about this in like a TED talk that he gives on uh, sort of effective charitable giving and sort of the work that he's done. Where he he talks about this idea that you know you could come out of college and take a nonprofit job that pays you minimum wage and slog through it for your career and come out feeling good uh, about the work that you've done. Or you could go become you know, a financial analyst, make a ton of bank, donate it to a nonprofit, and then sit on the board of the nonprofit that uh, the other guy's working for. And you'd probably have as much of an impact there than you would uh, working through the nonprofit itself. So, I mean, that's a really intriguing idea to me. Cause like, if you have like, if, especially if you're coming out of college and you have like all these paths in front of you, you don't know which path to walk down. If there's one where you're able to have, you know, the financial resources to not only support yourself, but to support a community, like that's a really powerful opportunity. But at the same time, I feel like the people who do end up doing that, right. Like this super like high profile, like Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, whatever. Right. I, it feels to me, and maybe it's maybe the answer is that the the court of public opinion is not necessarily the best arbiter of what's the most moral thing to do. But it feels to me like those people are definitely still demonized. Uh, I mean, maybe it's because their whatever they're giving is not like at that whatever level that people think would be like most effective, like the ten percent or whatever cutoff people consider to be like the moral amount of money to give away or whatever. But it feels like people still hate yeah and i think that like it really depends because i I think there's um you know there's the example of warren buffett who has a butt ton of money and he wanted to do something philanthropic with it and his decision was to give it to bill gates because he felt that bill gates had a much more robust understanding of what's needed in the space and could use that money more effectively right so you don't really hear that story so much as you hear um you know like jeff bezos you know, not paying people living wage, but, you know, becoming stupid, filthy rich on his own. I think that also there's this, I think that quantity at some, at some points, especially when we're talking about like cash, like is quality in some respects. I think that even if Billy is only given away 
you know, a quarter of his fortune or like, or like, you know, one percent of his fortune is still a shit ton of money and more money than, you know, a lot of, a lot of people could ever give to nonprofit and books or nonprofit work in their whole life. But I think that also um, Bill Gates might be kind of a bad example here because I think that just the nature of the work that he's done and like the, the work that his for-profit company has done, which has led to so much innovation just in general in the te- technological sector. Um, um, I feel like, and I, I feel like I'm less aware of what a Jeff Bezos has done, for example. In terms of what? In terms of just generally bettering like the the, the Yeah, the I don't world? know what Jeff Bezos has done philanthropically. I'm sure he's done like, I'm sure he's given a lot of money to somebody, but um, but I think that the Warren Buffett example that Shreda's gave is a good one because if if Jeff Bezos just gave a lot of money to someone else, then we're less likely to hear about it probably, even though you know it, it, it's arguably a super effective way to handle the situation. Yeah. Well, there was this thread that I was following that was basically between like the Slate Star Codex guy and these people at Vox and like Matt Iglesias and, and stuff like that. And it was basically like talking about like the case for and against billionaire philanthropy. Right. And like there is there is like on one side, there is this argument that like billionaires, right, should absolutely be like considered a viable and moral like way of getting like, you know, money to the people who need it most and like poor people, blah, blah, blah. And then the case against was that why should we give like all of these, uh, you know, arguably unethical people because like probably there was a lot of exploitation involved in getting them to be like, you know, the juggernauts that they were, blah, blah, blah. But like that is that a good reason to give them for example like all this power over like you know one example is zuckerberg donated tons of money to the new york school system like should he be able to just have all that power to tell the new york school system what to do and how to run their systems and stuff like that just because he's got a ton of money and i think that what you're what you're getting into is another one of the i think one of the larger pitfalls of like you know of philanthropic giving in general, which is the idea that of like tethered versus untethered money and how, um, you know, a lot of nonprofits are, are like competing for these small potatoes grants that require them to, you know, complete all these tasks and then like jump through these hoops, but not a lot, there are not a lot of grants available from people or corporations that just say, hey, we trust you as an expert in this space to take this money and do whatever you want to do with it. Um, mm-hmm. Or even just the people themselves who are being affected. Um, So I don't know. I mean, we're assuming that's like the statement you just made is assuming that Zuckerberg gets some sort of stake in what's happened, what or what the money is used for. Is that true? Do you know that? Yeah. Well, yeah. In that particular case, like he did come in. He was like, "Look, I like like consulted all of these education experts, and this is what they think is the best way to reform the Newark school system, Uh right?" And then there was like a lot of people in Newark itself who was like, "You don't." live here like you don't (laughs) who are you to come in and tell us what is something that we should probably vote on as a school board like this is kind of a why should you kind of be able to come in and and dictatorially tell us what to do when we could democratically self-determine if you just gave us all this money and let us do our our own thing you know criticism of that type of big donor giving it's especially when it goes to a community that's outside of your local sphere or the stakeholders that you immediately impact it really becomes like transactional almost right like i'm giving you money so i can get this benefit and you're going to give it to me because i say so uh, it sort of loses that idea of what the purpose of donating is for yeah but what do you think it is i mean for? It's, it's giving resources to people that are working towards a mission right um i mean there's like mm-hmm. so there's this idea that uh, you have two different rule books for the for-profit sector and the nonprofit sector, but they're effectively chasing the same thing, right? You have a mission and you're trying to achieve it. If you're in the for-profit sector, the way that you get resources is you, uh, you know, finance it through selling equity or uh, by getting some type of funding from uh, shareholders. Uh, and if you're in the nonprofit sector, the way you get it is by filing for grants and getting donations and you know just because you don't have the power to scale as like a nonprofit, you know there's this idea that maybe you should be a for-profit initiative so you have the access to those resources and then at the end of the day the impact is just a part of the business mission yeah well what do you think do you think that's like a I don't know. I think a lot of people think that that's kind of a, a, a cloaked, like, you know, just way of getting more profits to have these like socially mission driven companies. And some I'm sure for some of the cases it is and some of the cases it yeah. isn't. I don't I you don't know? mind a, a fucking, you know, a for profit company with a social with a social impact. 
I don't mind that personally. Like, I think that, um, I think we're, I think it gets kind of back into a similar idea as like a, as like a, you know, a billionaire giving some, someone, I think if a, if a corporation has kind of a socially, uh, like an abstract socially impactful mission, if it's well-informed and well-researched and well-executed, then I'm cool with that. And it's, um, and it's not just like, it's not like there's good companies and bad companies. There's like archetypes of companies that have very spectrum of impact. Like on the low end, you have like the the shareholder maximizers who just care about what the stock price is the next day, and their impact strategy is more about risk mitigation than anything else. And then you have uh, like the the corporate contributors who have uh, you know like a CSR program and they give to a cause that's related to the mission. So like Cisco giving to uh, networking programs and connectivity programs in local schools. Uh, then you like take it one step further and you have like companies where mission, like impact is sewed into the mission, right? Like things like Warby Parker, where they um, you know, buy a pair, give a pair to people who have impaired vision and don't have the ability to get it. And then you, and then like the, the ideal, in my opinion, and like sort of where I feel like the economy should be moving to in the future, especially in the social sector, is a company where like the impact is the mission of the for-profit company. Uh, something like, uh, you know, something like where, you know, I'm having a hard time thinking of an example right now. <laughs> well, I mean, the company that I worked at right out of college. So like, I feel like, this whole like the whole effective altruism thing and you know 80,000 hours is super super kind of targeted at our specific demographic yeah, right sure. of people who like left college and have this vague sense of I want to do good in the world but I don't know how to do it and there's like so many options out there how do I narrow my scope right of trying to figure out how to do that right and I feel like this is literally just like a rubric for like okay like here's you know steps one through ten of how to try to go about assessing that, you know, my company when I left college was an online learning company that was basically trying to like create courses for international development organizations so that they could kind of like train their staff better. Right. And have them help them to do the kinds of stuff that you were talking about, DeAndre, like monitoring and evaluation and tracking the status of like whether or not their initiatives are effective or not. And like that kind of thing. Do you feel like tech change was good at that? Well, it's funny because when I was leaving my, my, I was like, I was very pessimistic about it and being like, oh my God, like, look, we're just like kind of taking a lot of information that we're like Googling and stuff like that and like packaging it in these like nice courses. But honestly, actually, now that I have left and have seen similar online learning initiatives for other types of organizations, I realized that actually like they were doing a pretty good job compared like for Mm -hmm. what it was, you know, but I do think it's the kind of thing where, you know, it sounds really nice to be like, oh yeah, like online, you know, like blockchain for international development and stuff like that. Buzzwords. Yeah, but it does really play into a lot of these things that I don't think are necessarily beneficial for like the people at the end of like who are the actual, supposedly the actual beneficiaries of it is like, you shouldn't be like giving refugees aid in Ethereum. Like that makes no sense (laughs) at all. Like why should we be telling people to be doing that? Right? Like, yeah, there's like ridiculous shit like that where it's like, what, like, would a refugee need to literally, you don't have a home with like internet connection. You have to pay to go to an internet cafe. Why would you want to pay to go to an internet cafe to access your own goddamn money? Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, it makes no sense yeah. at all. <laughs> but like, obviously, yeah, there was all, it's like a mixed bag because like some of our courses were on like, you know, transgender 101, which I'm sure was like relatively useful. And then like, you know, it's like the blockchain stuff where you're just like, eh, like, is this just playing into like, you know, the corporate buzzwords or whatever to get them more grant money? Probably. You, know? do you think that on the net, well, were you saying that tech chains was an, an idea, was an example of a, a for-profit company that had a purely socially impactful mission? Well, that's the thing is I think that at the end of the day, right, it's really, really hard to, even if you say you're socially impact driven, right, to actually have that be your kind of like North star as an yeah. organization, because unless, and I think it has to do a lot with corporate structure, right, is that 
Like at the end of the day, if you're a for-profit company, especially if you're public, then you you have a legal obligation, right? To maximize profit for your shareholders, right? Anything that you, any decision you make that would go against that, people can literally sue you for, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, unless you're incorporated as like a, a, like a public benefit corporation, like you literally can't even make the types of decisions that would, you know, that... If, you, if, if faced with a decision like that, you can't even really decide to make the I right think decision like, legally. I think like where they go, the idea for a social enterprise is this thing of a triple bottom line, right? People, planet, and profit. And the ability to bring those mm-hmm. together in a cohesive business model is what sort of differentiates, um, you know, uh, like, so one example that comes to mind is uh, these um, farmers that are in uh, Indonesia that have a lot of product, but they don't have a way to get it to stores. There's an intermediary company that purchases their stock for them and then brings it to distributors. And that's their role in sort of the local economies to get the product to the shelves. And what, you know, that helps with getting revenue to the farmers in the local area. It helps people who want access to the product. And I consider them to be a very socially impactful mission because it's something that gives a revenue source for people in low-income communities to be able to support themselves. And so things like that where it's it's not always, you know, like a, a sexy, like fancy mission that brings it to it, but it's like the work that needs to get done. Well, in fact, I feel like most of the time if it's actually effective, it's like the most effective things are actively yeah. not sexy. <laughs> another, right? another pitfall of the nonprofit, um, of the nonprofit uh, industry is that like, yeah, grants. Grants go to like the sexy problems, like child cancer. You know, mm-hmm. and not like <laughs> diarrhea, which would probably <laughs> save yeah. so many more people, um, right? I want to. I do want to circle around and circle back uh, to to use some office jargon. Circle back. I do want to circle back and be kind of like a devil's advocate in favor of Mark Zuckerberg, which is that I think that. Um, what, what we don't know, and the, I think the information that we do need in order to be able to like effectively persecute Mark Zuckerberg for his like want to be dict- like dictatorial about um, saying where the money goes for New York public schools is like you know if he does have the backing of like some some really really good solid research with a lot of evidence then like yeah you know like I I think that the assumption. I, I don't think it's a fair assumption necessarily to think that New York public public schools is doing everything in the most effective way, right? And I think that um, I think that like yeah, I have personal experience from that from like working at, at nonprofits that you know may have received a lot of funding, but you know weren't I in, just weren't that effective in tackling their missions, you know. And and there is like opportunity that comes with having uh, you know, that type of targeted intervention. Like it's one thing to say that you know, shouldn't the local school districts be working together to come up with uh, an improvement plan. And but you know how what would it take for that to actually happen, right? And versus like someone being able to if you, it is one thing to come to a community and just say this is what happens, but um, it's an experiment and trying to see if the research that he has has been put to good use. Mm-hmm. Well, honestly, I also feel like it comes down to literally your view of human nature, right? And whether or not you think that the people you're trying to serve are capable and like are really able to self-determine, right, without having all of these different like agendas coming into play, right? It's almost like it's it's very similar to like whether or not you believe that voters, right, are actually going to vote in their own best interest as opposed to just getting manipulated by like, you know, the media paid for by the whatever billionaires in their area on whatever their pet issue is. You know what I mean? Right. It's like, do you do you really believe like if you went to every you know person in the Newark school district? Right. And said, OK, you can self-determine and we're going to give you like these t- whatever ten million dollars. Right. And you can decide what to do with it, right? Like if you ask the kids, right, versus the parents versus the teachers, like I'm sure you're going to get tons of different answers from tons of different stakeholders. And do you necessarily believe you have to like believe that there's some way to parse that in such a way that's actually going to result in the in the highest benefit as opposed to doing some kind of like research driven, let the researchers come in and like the experts come in and tell you this is what we think you should do. Yeah. Yeah. And I I mean, I'm a firm believer that the most effective programs and adventures are the ones that are originating within the community that's trying to be impacted. Right. Like the, the that sort of organic development of a project that 
ends up having a broad impact that gets invested in by community. You know, that's sort of the the gold standard for the you know the top one percent of nonprofit efforts that are out there. But you know, the 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 thing that the effective altruism page sort of gets to is that you know it's it's like a it's a skewed distribution, right? You don't have uh, you know half good nonprofits, half bad nonprofits. It's a lot of really average nonprofits and then a couple of really high impactful ones. And the the decision that you make as an individual is, you know, if you have a dollar to give, you give it to the most impactful one. But like when when you say most impactful, right, I feel like it's really, really difficult to assess, right, from whose perspective, right? Because if you went to the kids in the New York system, they're like, oh, you know, well, we want the curriculum to be more fun and we want to like, you know, have more recess or whatever. And like the teachers will be like, well, we want something like a curriculum that's like, you know, easier for us to like, you know, teach or something. And the parents are like, we want our kids to get into college, you know, and maybe if you're optimizing, you know, depending on what you're optimizing for, you could totally come to an outcome that doesn't even necessarily solve for any of those if you pick, if you're trying to like, you know, square you know, all of these different interests, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, according to whom, like high impact, according to like, how do you decide who is going to be the arbiter of that? Yeah, I think that eventually uh, we're going to run into the problem of like, yeah, whoever, whoever is making the decision, it's hard to tell, you know, what, like how to be objective about making that decision. Yeah, like is it Mark Zuckerberg? <laughs> is it like <laughs> the principal of the New York yeah. school? Like, you know, or is like it, how or is it eighty thousand hours? Decides? I'm looking at their um their highest priority areas right now. Yeah, and what do you see? I'm seeing uh, uh, positively shaping the development of artificial intelligence. Yeah, man, that's me. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> is it because of that? <laughs> um, not explicitly, but it was something that I put my thought into. It's like, this is the way the economy is developing. This is the way that the world is going to be impacted. I want to be a part of the movement to make it be done right. Um, global priorities research, which is which is very meta, but it's essentially them saying that a high priority area is figuring out what the highest priorities are. Um Building effective altruism, which is like, you know, kind of them sucking suck their own big data. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Um, and reducing global catastrophic biological risks. Um, the second highest priority areas are nuclear security, improving institutional decision making, which I agree with, um, and climate change. But yeah. the, and the, to be fair, they have they do have a whole section on potentially pressing issues that they have yet that they, that they haven't yet investigated mm-hmm. and verified. Well, how much do you think this aligns with, like, if you had to come up with a list like this, how much do you think it overlaps with their I think list? I think that their list is more meta than mine is, but I think that's probably a good thing. Like, I feel like, for me, I, like, tend to think about things that are very tangible, like nuclear security, climate change, or, like, you know, food distribution, right? But I don't think about things that are more meta, like... Decision-making. Decision-making and, like, you know, improving effective research and, like, improving effective, like philanthropy but i think that i think i've i've i I think that it makes sense when i like when i think about it hard because of this idea like i think a good example of this is we always hear like there's more than enough food in the world there's just not not a good enough way to get it to places which i think is which i think is sort of an example of like building effective altruism. Like how do we make a more effective delivery system delivery system for resources that are already there instead of just like trying to create more resources? Yeah. Well, what's interesting, I thought also in what shapes, like what they consider to be high priority or not, is they really believe in this principle. And I really want to hear what you guys have to say, have to think about this, because I thought this was really interesting, of long-termism, yeah. right? Of, tri- of prioritizing humans in the future just as much as you prioritize humans now, right? And I think that's super, super controversial, right? Because their whole shtick is, you know, most on average, the... You know, the average species lives between one and 10 million years, right? And humans have only been around for 200,000 years. So they're like, there are, like, the majority of humanity is going to come after yeah, we're dead. Yeah, to come. Right? So that's part of why they prioritize these particular things is they're like, these are also the things that we think are going to impact humans in the future, right? Yeah. The most, right? And I'm curious what you guys think about that. Cause I don't think that most people actually have that approach in terms of what, when you just, when you just ask somebody on the street, how do you think you could like, you know, impact humanity in like, you know, the most effective yeah. way. Right. I feel like I would, 
I would push back on the idea on what you just said, like, which is that a lot of people don't have that approach. I think that's the main approach of climate change. Right. I think that like, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that most people that are climate change advocates or like are even marginally interested in improving the climate understand that, you know, the, the changes that you make aren't going to be for you or like maybe even for your kids, like it'll be. But I think, uh, but I, I think on the flip side of that, though, I think that they've a lot of the climate activists have been cha- have kind of been kind of like changing their mm. approach to be like, no, look at all the things that are happening now, right? Look oh, yeah, at all like, of these like, like the natural disasters that are happening now, because 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 I think that like that that approach that you're talking about hasn't been very mm. effective to get people to care about it, and and like I think that everyone, like just because of human nature, is more likely to give a shit if you say, okay, this is happening now, this is going to affect you. Yeah. Right. Then, oh, these are going to affect these hypothetical people in the future, you know. But to get to your main question, which is like just generally how we feel about it. um, Yeah, I think I agree. I think it's I mean, I think it's I think I the idea sounds good to me. Um, To me, it sounds like we're getting like we're getting to sort of a philosophical philosophical place of like, you know, how much do we sacrifice in the future to help people right now? And how you know, like mm-hmm. valuing the future and things like that, which you know I think is a worthwhile conversation to have. But what do you think, Shrey? I don't know. It's I, I'm not sure where I stand on long termism, uh, because I I mean I am compelled by the rationale for climate change that the work that we do today is going to impact generations in the future. And I'm a, I'm a strong believer in the idea of like how valuable it is to plant trees for shade that you'll never sit in right but at the same time you know there has to be a balance with the people that are alive today right and the, there's no telling what's going to happen uh, 100 200 1000 years from now but like people alive today you know there's people that are hungry today so how, what are you going to do to help them get fed or you can't discount yeah. them yeah i think this is a this gets into a really 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 classic debate in the sort of like service world of like charity versus philanthropy and how to weigh the two. Well, what, what, wait, what's the yeah, difference? Good what question. Is so I think the idea of that debate is when people say charity, they're often thinking of things like giving money to a food bank or, you know, things that tend to solve or tend to alleviate what some would think of as symptoms of a problem. Right. Um, like people, um, you know, Maybe, maybe a, like an example of a problem is that like uh, our country for some reason is not very good at making sure everyone gets to eat. And the symptom of that problem is that some people are hungry and food banks are solely trying to solve the symptom of that problem, which is just like providing a place for people right now to get food. And how do you balance those needs, the needs for charity with the needs for philanthropy, quote unquote, which is the idea of solving the systemic issue of hunger and, um, you know, like how do you, yeah. So that, that's kind of the difference between the two. And there's, there's like an adage about like babies in a river. Like you come up and you see that uh, there are a bunch of babies that are floating down in a river and you have two options. You can either uh, jump into the river downstream and start pulling the babies out, or you can go upstream to see what's making them fall in. Right. And you sort of have to choose. And I mean, the, the real answer is like, if you want to have effective impact, you have to have people that are working in both areas, right? The people who are able to service the needs of today and people who are able to uh, solve the systemic issues that are underlying them. And I, I think that where effective altruism is moving towards is this idea that those systemic changes, the people that go upriver to see who some of the babies in, somehow have a much more broader impact or much more significant value than, say, giving to a more immediate need. Yeah. What what bizarre what what is the answer? Why were the baby seats from the river? Is there There's an no answer, answer to this in no, this there particular isn't. anecdote? That's an so adage. weird. Is shit. I know, but like the adage I presume, right, is like usually based on something, right? Like I guess. Um, but no, I I think I think that yes, I would agree that people are often blinded and might and might even make decisions based on like things that are happening to them and their kids in the moment and that might prevent them from making better decisions for the world as a whole like i think that's generally true and i think that there are probably some really tangible examples of that but i mean it seems like this really active trade-off right exists between 
doing the thing that, you know, from a utilitarian standpoint, you have like rigorously calculated to have the most impact, right? And doing the things that's actually going to feel most tangible, right, to the person that you're trying, you know, all these people that you're trying to convince as a movement, right, should be doing this. Because it's already difficult to like argue, oh, like you should be giving, you know, if you have $100 to give, don't give it to, you know, people in your community who are relatively better off compared to other people in the world. Give it to, you know, you can, you can like maybe feed whatever 10 people here, but you could literally feed thousands, like you could do like 10x amount of good if you sent it to, you know, a developing country yeah. or something. Right. But that feels so like, you know, like such a difficult trade-off because it's so less tangible, right? And it's even one step more removed from you if you're talking about, well, what if you fed, you know, a million people in, you know, 30 years, like, you know, like in like 100 years, yeah. you know? Those people don't even yeah. exist yet. That feels like, you know, that doesn't feel good to people yeah, at all. I think, I mean, you'll get no argument from me that the idea of long-termism isn't sexy or isn't, isn't as compelling, you know? I think mm-hmm. that, but I think that is probably just for me in my opinion a flaw in human nature as in like you do you do think we should go for this super utilitarian kind of rationalist approach yeah i mean i i hesitate i hesitantly say yes and the, like the idea because it's, it's like we should be very calculated and, and like try and figure out like you know the impacts of all the things and maybe even prioritize um, f- like future people and future impact that we can make, especially if it's greater than the impact that we can, that we can make right now. Yeah. But how do you square that with how, like it's how marketable it is because it's not marketable. Uh, I don't claim to be right? able to square that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you know? I don't claim to be able to. I, I think that, I think that many, 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 many nonprofits and research institutes are grappling with the same exact problem. Mm-hmm. And I don't think there's a good solution for it yet. Thanks so much for sitting down with us um, and talking to us about you know this abstract ass but really effective concept of effective altruism. Um, I have I just have one question for you, and it's very relevant to the conversation and current times. And the question is, um, if you had to make a choice between um, like there's limited resources and the resources can go towards saving like a thousand people's lives from COVID now. Or you can make the, or you can make the vaccine come, you know, like six months sooner. Where do you go? Uh, do I put my money into ventilators, or do I put them into a vaccine? Ooh, good. Yes, yes. Good, uh, good illustration. I think, based on my framework of thinking, I would most likely invest in the vaccine. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I think same. As always, if you heard anything you like, anything you hated, anything you aggressively agreed or disagreed with, or if you like like me more than you like Isabel or vice versa, hit us at, uh, at I'm the Villain Pod. That's our Gmail, our Twitter, and our Instagram. Uh, otherwise, bye.